want to welcome Mr. Viscusi into the pulpit to bring the word for us today. If you have your Bibles, please open to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 9. This morning, Galatians chapter 1. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You'll pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Help us this morning, Lord, as we open it up uh, to be yielded to you in every way, uh, to receive it as what it is, the very word of God, and to fall under its authority. Uh, Lord, we want to be a people who are ready to hear from you uh, and ready to do what you would have us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You will go ahead and find your seats. Uh, We're going to be focusing on uh, the uh, Galatians 3, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 this morning. I want to open up with kind of a short article that apologist Greg Kukul wrote not too long ago entitled, Faithfulness is Not Theologically Complicated. So here's what he wrote. Said lately, I've been mystified and distressed with a trend that I've seen with many who identify as Christians, yet seem to effortlessly embrace secular ideas that are completely at odds with biblical understanding of reality. Says these more progressive Christians tend to be pluralistic regarding salvation, sexually active as single persons, gay-friendly, and here I do not mean appropriately friendly with gays, but rather supportive of alternative sexualities. Comfortable with gender fluidity, in favor of same-sex marriage and pro-choice. I'm distressed because they have fallen into a trap Paul warned about. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, rather than according to Christ. And he says, I'm mystified because there is no good reason for faltering in the face of these particular trends. Because Scripture speaks with absolute clarity against them. Since there's no biblical ambiguity on any of these issues, there's no real cause for Christian confusion. Simply put, on a host of culturally charged moral and spiritual issues, faithfulness is not theologically complicated. He goes on to ask this question. Why then are many who claim to be Christians foundering on fundamentals with regularity. And he says, I think there are two reasons. First, it's clear that many Christians are untutored in the basics. So to them, Christianity is simply about believing in Jesus in some vague sense, 
loving people in a can't-we-all-just-get-along kind of way. And that's where their theology starts, and that's where their theology ends. Second, many Christians, especially of a younger generation, sadly seem to care more what their friends think about them than what Jesus thinks about them. Each of these failings, he says, is dangerous on its own. In combination, they are spiritually deadly. So here's why I share that with you this morning. Um, In part, what Paul is dealing with in Galatians is not unlike what Greg Kukul has written about here. The issue of compromise in the church. One of the things that you're going to notice in the book of Galatians is that it seems that Paul can scarcely take a breath in this book without referencing the cross. And likely that's true because the, the, the cross is, central, is the central fundamental reality of Christianity. So it makes sense that it's a central fundamental reality in the book. So here's what we're going to spend some time doing this morning. Attempting to get some clarity about the cross. Now this is probably not new information to many of you who are here. But we're going to do it because clarity about the cross, clarity about basic truths in the Bible, is really where courage to stand starts. And clarity about the cross in particular helps us not to compromise. So here's the basic premise this morning. We should not be able to look at the cross, understand what God has done for us there in Jesus, and then care more about what people think about us than what Jesus thinks about us. So this morning I want to show you from Galatians how clarity about the cross can give us courage to stand, not to compromise, and we're going to do it by looking at two fundamental implications of the cross. The first is this, the cross shows us how much Jesus loves us, and the second is this, the cross shows us how much Jesus has done for us. So very simple truths, but very important implications. So the first is this. The cross shows us how much Jesus loves us. You know, one of the reasons that we um, begin to compromise or start to compromise is, is this. People have a lot to offer us. And so compromise often starts at this point with the truth that people have a lot to offer us. You know, we can get things from people. Possessions, position, status in their eyes. And very often when we fail to get these things from people, it hurts. It stings a little bit. We feel maybe less than. Um, maybe we feel like outsiders. We may, be, we may even suffer some. And what the Galatians were being offered was status as well. They were being offered value in someone else's eyes. If you turn over in the book of Galatians to chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, you will see there that they are being made much of by those who seek to turn them away from the truth. Listen to what Paul writes there. He says, They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. See, the Galatians were being, being courted, right? And that probably felt pretty good. Right? It feels pretty good to us too, right? It feels good to be wanted. I mean, who doesn't like to be made much of or to feel wanted? 
So the question is, how can we have courage when someone powerful or popular or, or just someone who's in a position to give us something that we value is paying a lot of attention to us? How can we have courage to stand in the face of that? Even when it might seem to us like what they're saying maybe seems a little bit off, or we maybe know something about their lifestyle, and we, we, we think, you know, something is not quite right, and we know it, but maybe we begin to think, you know, it's really not, it's really not too bad. Uh, I, can, I can go along with that. But really deep down we know that, that it's not right. So how in those types of situations can we care about what Jesus thinks about us more than what our friends think about us? Those who are making much of us. Now, this is a great temptation. Um, really for probably all of us here, but in many ways, probably more so for, for teenagers and for young people. How can we stand and have courage um, when we're being made much of and our status is at risk? I want to try to answer that question from verses 3 and 4 here with a question. Has Jesus not made much of us? Has Jesus not made much of us? Look at what Paul writes about Jesus here in verses 3 and 4. Particularly verse 4. Jesus is the one who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. He gave Himself for our sins. Scripture tells us greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so the question is, who can love you, who can possibly love you more than Jesus loves you? Who has loved you better than Jesus has loved you? When we begin to get clarity about the cross, and we don't go by this truth quickly that many of us know and have known since childhood, about Jesus' great love for us, what He's done for us while we, were, while we were still sinners, unworthy, unrighteous, undeserving, enemies of God, where is His love supreme, supremely shown? It's at the cross. And so, this is exactly where Paul starts. Dealing with the issue of compromise in the church, he starts with the cross in verses 3 and 4. When you and I have experienced this kind of love, why would we care what anyone else thinks about us? I wonder if those you are so concerned about and what they think about you I wonder if they would lay down the last piece of chocolate cake for you. And I hope you begin to wonder that too. I mean, they might. There are, there are good and godly friends who love us, sacrifice for us. But there are also others who would not lay down the chocolate cake. And still there are others who would lay down the chocolate cake, but for bad purposes. So these are the folks that we're talking about today. Much like the Judaizers were making much of the Galatians, they are doing it for themselves. So I hope you begin to wonder about those people too. But you know who you never have to wonder about? You never have to wonder about Jesus. 
Jesus laid down His life for you. For your sins more specifically. And to deliver you from this present evil age. To free you from living as a slave to the world. What kind of sense does it make to give one care of chocolate cake crumbs worth about what other people think about you other than Jesus? The one who gave himself for your sins to deliver you from the present evil age. His love for you is clear. His commitment to you will never fail. The only sense that it makes for Christians to struggle at this point is that we are walking by sight instead of by faith. Listen to how Sinclair Ferguson puts it. He says, We are seeing with our eyes, in terms of our own perception, rather than as God's children must learn to do with our ears in terms of the teaching of God's Word. You see, we can see the powerful, popular people with our eyes, but we can't see Jesus yet. And so the point of application for us, for those who belong to Christ, is that we must learn to see with our ears, listening to the Word of God. You must grow in your love for the one who loves you so much, but you cannot yet see with your physical eyes. And here's how you do it. Here's how you feed your faith. You get to know Jesus in His Word. You feed your faith with the knowledge of Christ, all that He is, all that He has done for you. And you don't run past it quickly. You pray that this knowledge will come alive in your heart, that it will grip you, and then that this love strengthens your, that His love for us strengthens our love for Him in such a way that it prepares our wills to be moved so that when we're threatened with the loss of uh, powerful or popular people, you and I know Jesus so well. And we know that He knows us, perhaps more importantly, that we wouldn't let anything get between us and Jesus. Not all the power, not all the popularity in the world would get between the two of us. So, I want to encourage you today to start with what you've heard about the cross. Start with what you've heard about the cross. I'm going to give you six other places in Galatians for you to consider that will give you some clarity about the cross. I'll run through them quickly, um, but maybe better yet, just read the book of Galatians. It's only six chapters. Read the book of Galatians with an eye to the cross. But here are six places in Galatians. 2, 18 through 21. 3, 1 through 3. 3, 10 through 14. 5, 11. 5, 24. 6, 12 through 14. If you miss those, I can give, give those to you after the service today. But we're going to move on to the second point. So the second point this morning is simply this. Uh, the cross shows us how much Jesus has done for us. So the cross also shows us how much Jesus has done for us. You know, another truth about people is, is this. We, we don't only struggle with compromise because of what people can give us. We very often struggle with compromise because of, of what people can take from us. Right? People threaten us with, with trouble. They can threaten us with trouble. 
Now in Galatians, there's a specific kind of trouble that Paul is dealing with. And if you jump on down to verse 6 in chapter 1, you can see what it is. And so read with me verse 6. Here's what Paul says. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Verse 7 as well. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so you see the trouble here is that um, there are some folks who are distorting the gospel. They're distorting it. And if you jump over to chapter 6 verse 11, you can see how and why they're doing it. So they're attempting to require circumcision as a means of justification. And at least one of the reasons they're doing it, you see in verse 12, is is this. They're doing it to avoid persecution for the cross of Christ. So trouble still comes to us by way of distortion. It certainly does. You and I will probably be able to avoid some trouble if we're willing to compromise on the cross or any other doctrine. We'll probably be able to avoid some trouble if we're willing to compromise. We won't even necessarily have to give it up. They'll, they'll, they'll likely let us hold on to the cross if we're willing to distort it and essentially rob it of its power. They'll let us hold on to it if we would say, you know, this is an example of God's love for us to follow. Probably still be able to hold on to the cross that way. But if you cling to the cross as the place where the wrath of God is satisfied, where atonement for sin is made by Jesus as our substitute, demonstrating that we can never in any way earn our salvation, demonstrating that we in fact have a great need for mercy and grace that only God can give, then that is an offense. And you can almost be guaranteed of trouble. Paul understands this. And so right off the bat in Galatians, he's setting them up to see the treasure of the cross. To to show them what Jesus has done for them there so that they will see their trouble in light of this treasure that they already have as those who belong to Christ. And we need to be reminded of these treasures too. So that we will not trade them no matter what trouble comes our way. So let's take a look at some of this treasure that we have in the cross. First, take a look at verse 3 with me. Because of the cross, we have grace and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have grace. The unmerited, unearned favor of God. And we have peace. We have blessing from God. Well-being from God that is rooted in a right relationship with God. We're no longer His enemies. Grace and peace from God are ours all the time, even in the middle of tribulation. Some of you might might know the story of David Green 
Um, he's the founder, CEO of, of Hobby Lobby. By all accounts, um, David Green attempted to build his company on biblical principles. And those of you who know his story know what he got in return for that. He got, he got trouble in return for that. He recounts in his book, A Generous Life, that in 2012, uh, the government passed a law requiring businesses to provide insurance that would cover contraceptives for employees that included some that ended life after contraception. Excuse me, after conception. (laughs) Now, because of his biblical convictions uh, regarding the killing of human beings in the womb, he simply could not comply. So what happened with David Green is his, his case eventually made it to the Supreme Court. Now, think about how intimidating that might be, to be in the Supreme Court for these justices, Supreme Court justices. But I want you to listen to how David Green recounts his experience sitting in that courtroom. Here's what he says. He says, I knew who I was. He's talking about his identity in Christ. I knew who my family was. I knew who owned Hobby Lobby. He meant the Lord. I knew why we were in that courtroom. I knew who controlled my fate, no matter what those justices decided, and peace reigned. Now, you and I, uh, more than likely, will never find ourselves in such a widely public confrontational with with the Supreme Court. It's more than likely not going to happen. But when trouble finds you, and, and be sure that it will, peace can reign because of the treasure of the cross. Because you have peace with God through Christ. That is an objective peace. It is an objective reality that you're no longer an enemy with God through Jesus and Jesus alone. And and because of that objective peace, you can have experiential peace as well. Look at the plan of the cross in verse 4. I love that Paul says this, that the cross happened and our deliverance from this present evil age has happened according to the will of our God and Father. You know, one of the things that persecution sometimes tempts us with, or difficulty sometimes tempt us with, is to believe or feel as if our circumstances are, in the, are unfolding according to the plans of those who intend to do us harm. But one of the things that the cross shows us is that... It may be the greatest picture we have that the most horrendous plans of man crucifying our Lord are not outside of the will of our God and Father. We can rest in that reality. That it is the will of our God and Father that is ultimate. So, remembering that our circumstances are in in the hands of an all-knowing, all-powerful, caring God and Father whose plans are perfect and ways are sure. And that is where you can experience peace. Second thing I want you to see in verse 4 is that because of the cross, we have forgiveness for our sins. Jesus gave himself for our sins. That is probably not a novel truth to many of you, but we run past it quickly all the time. And so what I want to do this morning is camp out there a little bit and compare it to the rest of the world. Men will take your sin 
and try to destroy you. You just go ahead and blow it. You go ahead and blow it in front of these people who you care so much about and what they think about you. Go ahead and blow it. And they'll take your sin and try to destroy you. They might even pronounce you canceled. Jesus will simply take your sin and pronounce your sin canceled. That's treasure. It is interesting that we sometimes find ourselves more troubled with what other sinful human beings think about us than what the holy God of the universe thinks about us. These people who will cancel us at our first misstep on the one hand, or Jesus who will cancel your sin past, present, and future. Third thing I want you to see is this. Because of the cross, Paul reminds us we have deliverance from the present evil age. So a few observations about this phrase that will help us to see both the troubles that come with living in it and the value of our deliverance from it that results from the cross. First, it's temporary. So the word being translated age here refers to the world system which is in the process of passing away. And second, it's evil. So the Bible everywhere confirms these two truths about um, the temporary evil nature of the world. And it reminds us of the dangers of loving it and being conformed by it. So the fact that it's evil should help us. It should help us not to be surprised by the pressures that we feel from the world, right? And then the fact that it's temporary should help relieve the pressure. It should help cut the legs out from that pressure. These pressures, they're really just another form of trouble that we might experience. Pressures are outside forces that seek to shape us. Now, we might feel pressure to compromise integrity, character, truth, you name it. Peter tells us in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 um, that the world will be surprised um, when, when you and I do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And the result of that will be they'll malign us. So there's pressure. But because of the cross, Paul reminds us, we've already been delivered from this present evil age. And so this pressure should be relieved. We remember that though we are still in the world, we're not of the world. But here's sort of the rub for us. We no longer belong, and we may even intellectually kind of understand that, um, but there's a cost that comes with no longer belonging. There really is a cost that comes with that. And this is what the, and there's, here's where the rub is. Being settled on the reality of this cost. Cost of feeling left out. Cost of feeling different. Cost of being not like everybody else. How can we be settled on this reality of no longer belonging? That in many cases, we're simply not going to fit in. We're simply not going to fit in in the world. Even in some cases, this, this pressure might come from a group of friends who call themselves Christian. How are we going to reconcile with that? What if I'm weird? What if I'm weird 
even amongst my Christian friends. Can I live with that? And, and how can I live with that? I want to close this morning by trying to answer that question from Galatians here in verse 5. Because Paul concludes his introduction here in verse 5 with maybe one of the most important themes of the whole Bible. It's this. God deserves all glory all the time. He deserves to be made much of. And so if we're going to live no longer belonging, this really is the conclusion that we must come to as well. That God deserves to be made much of. And we must be willing to trade glory from men for the glory that we can give to God. This is how Paul has come to see his life. If you look at... um, uh, Galatians chapter 1 verse 24 kind of the, the pinnacle of Paul's own testimony um, he's come to see the glory of God as the, as the pinnacle of his own testimony in verse 24 if you go to the very end of the book Galatians six fourteen, Paul makes it absolutely clear that he seeks no glory from the world but that his boast is in the cross now this is in direct opposition to those who are troubling the Galatians who are instead interested in making a good showing in the flesh. They desire to make a fine outward appearance. And so really, these are the two choices. These are the two choices that we're confronted with um, in life, that we're going to have to get settled about being in the world but not belonging to the world. It's either going to be glory from men or glory for God. This is how you and I are enabled to live no longer belonging dead to the world and the world dead to us. We have to make that trade. We have to be willing to make that trade. The glory that we can get from men versus the glory that we can give to God. This must be our new desire that we would want to live in such a way that no matter what, we, 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 God is seen as our most treasured possession. So let me just kind of maybe think aloud for us a little bit this morning about what might be going on in the mind and in the heart of someone who wants to make that trade. Maybe it would be something like this. You're faced with a potentially compromising situation. And you're going to run that decision through this, this glory grid. Glory from men, glory for God. And when you realize, hey, you know what, if I do this... That, that, that really in my heart, this is about me looking good. Or really in my heart, this is about me not losing something that I desire. Or not being seen as uh, different. Not getting something that I want. That this is really about getting glory from men in some way. I'm going to stop and I'm going to think, you know what? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care how I'm going to look. I want to show the whole world that God is most valuable to me. And so what decision can I make here that, 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 that will give Him the glory? That will give God the glory here? What decision can I make that will make Him look treasured to those maybe looking in on the outside who know something about the circumstance in which I find myself? So here's the final application this morning. If you're in Christ, like Paul... The world is crucified to you, and you to the world. Consider where in your life you need to trade glory from men for glory for God.
and make the decision to do it. He deserves all glory all the time. You and I should not be able to look at the cross like we've done this morning. Understand what God has done for us there and then care more about what people think about us than what Jesus thinks about us. Decisively trade glory from men for glory for God. Pray with me. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for Jesus, his death on the cross for us. Thank you for final and full payment of sin. And we can be made right with Jesus, through Jesus, him alone. Be known by you and to know you. Father, please help us this morning. Um, as we've heard your word and read what, you've, what you have for us about the cross, please apply it to our hearts, Lord, and help us to be yielded to your spirit, uh, that way we might be doers of the word and not hearers only, and faithfully follow you, uh, that you get all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.